Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. Uh, Joining me today is Gary Thomas, bestseller of many, many books, but ones that have been particularly meaningful to me have been Spiritual Pathways, uh, have been Sacred Marriage, have been Cherish, and most recently, Married Sex. Also joining us on the conversation is my colleague here at Winning at Home, uh, Sarah Young. Gary, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You know, I do so many podcasts and Hope for the Hard Stuff may be one of my favorite titles ever. It's just, it's so true to life. So I'm honored to be a part of this. Well, thank you. And again, I, through your writing, you've done a masterful job of tackling a, a lot of hard topics in a lot of different seasons. Gary, in, you, in the book, your newest book, Married Sex, A Christian Couple's Guide to Reimagining Your Love Life, you talked about how this book was a long time coming. What made this moment right for this book? Yeah, well, I'm glad I waited because I think collaborating with Deborah Faleda was just one of those things that God helped engineer that I think worked out so well. Um, I've been speaking on this topic before you. I've done it in Michigan, as you know, and um, people have been asking. But finally, a few years back, there were some national marriage ministry leaders sending out, I don't remember if it was an email thread or a text message thread, you know, just the kind of things you get on. And they just said, like, we really think we need a new book for evangelical married couples on sex. They feel like some of the ones that were getting a little bit dated, there's still some good ones out there and, and others maybe had language that was a little too male-centric. And they said, one of us said, have you ever thought of trying to write one? And I, I didn't really want to do it alone, just as a male in his 50s. And so I, I approached Deborah Faleda. I loved her books. She's in her 30s. She's a licensed counselor. We bring a different skill set. And so we felt like we could write a book together that would reach younger couples and older couples, that men would feel heard and women would feel heard. We didn't want a book that pitted one against the other, um, a book that small groups could read together in a way that they felt like the the couple was lifted up and, and supported, and that we could have a book that would deal with the theological, psychological, relational, and practical aspects of married sex, how to appreciate it, how to improve it, how to just grow in that aspect of your relationship. Gary, for those who haven't read the book or haven't come across it just yet, talk about some of the initial challenges that a lot of couples face when it comes to intimacy. Probably the most raw dimension of an individual and a couple's life. What prevents most couples from kind of towing into the waters of having these hard conversations? Okay, we could do an hour on this. But let me try to water ski instead of deep dive. One of the first chapters that we have is Deborah's chapter called Sexpectations. And what you think your sex life should be like has a huge impact on how satisfied you are with where it is now. And, and because of the portrayal, some think, and some comes out of the purity movement, if you're faithful before God and you're not sex before get married, it's just an incredible, wonderful experience. It's not difficult to learn. That may not be true. Um, that you'll always desire each other, just especially when you do when sexual chemistry is high. That's not going to be true that every experience of sex is going to be better than the next. And so we're just sort of resetting it. Another really damaged one is that sex is only for the husband, that it's sort of there just to meet his needs or just as bad just to keep him from sinning as if that's going to work. So um, we're really trying to reset the reality of marriage. You, you both know this, having been married, just like communication takes work in marriage, sometimes vacations take work. Lisa and I really have different views of vacation. We had to work that out. 
Um, eating can take a work. Some people like to eat at different times, eating out, eating at home. It, it shouldn't surprise us that sex takes a while for a couple to get right because it's relational, it's spiritual, it's physical. You can have a very connected relationship emotionally and there might be physical problems. Or you both might be very physically capable of great sex but have emotional or spiritual distance and that creates another problem. So it's just understanding that for every couple, there will be sexual challenges, but that's we have God's grace to help us overcome that we can learn how to do that. That's partly what this book is for. Uh, that, that's a big one, the sex expectations. The second big one, I think, is just spiritually. Some people think of sex as guilty. And, mm -hmm. and even after they're married, just for so long, they've said no, no, no. And one of the things we've said in this book is that after marriage, we need to learn how to say yes, 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 in a way that gets through to our minds and our souls. And so there's a chapter on the song of all songs where we go extensively, not just how God allows sex, but how he celebrates it, the power of it, how God gets the different dynamics. It's a little bit different for a man than it is for a woman. And then really keys to celebrating sex and enjoying sex um, in an entirely new dimension. There are several other things, but but those are two of the big ones often that, that hold people back. Gary, as a theologian and a writer, where does sometimes our theology or maybe even some vestiges of dysfunctional church culture play into that shame equation that allow married couples to, yeah. to, to just have shame as this cloud that, that hovers over intimacy in a married relationship? Yeah, well, it, it's historically been true, to be honest. And I, I just want to say, I don't know that I'd call myself a theologian. I have a master's in theology, but who doesn't these days? So I, I'm not really an academic in, in that regard. But, you know, historically, Christians have had a difficult time embracing the freedom of sex that the Bible speaks of. Some of the best books on sex, frankly, are written by Jewish theologians. Because when you have a faith, that is based on pure bloodlines leading up to the Messiah, you can't very well look down on the act that keeps that pure bloodline going on. But there has been some shady periods in Christian history where the celibacy is lifted up above marriage and like being sexual is sort of a compromise. Mm. And so I think we have to get back to a, a, a more biblical view. And I, I would just say just even the title of the one book in the Bible devoted exclusively to sex. In the Hebrew, it's called the Song of Songs. Now, some of your listeners may not realize this, but something of something is an ancient Near Eastern phraseology that exalts what's being discussed. An analogy that they probably would have heard of is God is described as the King of Kings. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that God is the greatest of kings or the wisest of kings or the mightiest of kings. It means that if you were to put all the kings of the universe together, God would be king of those kings. He's different in kind. And so in the Old Testament, I think it's worth pointing out this is pre-Christ, but in the Old Testament, when it's describing the song of songs, it's not the song of David. It's not the song of Deborah. It's not the song of Moses. It's not even the song of deliverance. It's the song of songs that describes the erotic relationship between a husband and a wife. And it says that there really is no other song like it. And we need to embrace this without apology. I mean, I, I think what sex can represent, the fact that we can literally partner with God to create another human being that shares our DNA. I mean, it's just 
There's no other human experience even close to that. What it does to our brains, if we have time, we can get into that. What it does to the relationship, the fact that it makes us feel like we are people with bodies and nerve endings and that it reveals that God created us to receive sexual pleasure in so many different ways, through so many different senses. Um, it shouldn't surprise us that God's inspired word to us describes the sexual relationship as the song of songs. It's a celebration that we just have to receive. But there's some reason, and I, I think your question hits on it, in the church, we still are a little suspicious. I, I just spoke at a church about a week and a half ago on a Friday night, and they had question and answers. And the questions were very specific. Is and I don't know if I can use these words, but you can edit them out. Is oral sex okay? Is masturbation okay? What do you think about anal sex and other things like that? And they said, are you okay with answering these? And my response was, if people can't ask this in a church, I'm not talking about Sunday morning when kids are present. Sure. If people can't ask this on a Friday night in their church of a pastor, where are they going to go to get those answers? They're going to go to Google. They're going to go to sources that may not revere scripture or have a biblical worldview. And so I, I do think it's a time, and I hope this book can do that, where we find a respectful way to open up this conversation. Um, it's bathed in scripture. Um, we've got, you know, like a man and a woman writing it. It's the only book I've ever written that had both a male and a female editor. I've done probably 20 books with Zondervan. I always have worked with a male editor. They wanted a male and a female on this one, because we worked so hard to get the language right that would lift up each member of the couple. Gary, I love how you said that there have been some patterns in church history that have, have kind of shut down the conversation. If we were to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side, culture can be so, at the risk of sounding Pollyanna-ish, a little bit licentious. And so yes. sometimes there's a temptation in church culture to be able to say, well, let's just do what the world does and figure out a way to sp sprinkle some verses on it. That's harmful in its own way. And I think that you've fought hard to find a middle that says, hey, what what is a way that uh, graciously embodies sex, but at the same time doesn't cheapen it. Can you talk to that? Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that question up because I've heard some fair critiques of the purity movement that it created some harm and shame. And I understand nuances of that, but the implication almost is, so we shouldn't tell people that it's a negative thing to have sex before marriage at all. Can I just say as a pastor and Deborah would say as a counselor, that sexual licentiousness before marriage causes just as many psychological shame-based hurt problems. And, and so I, I do think the message of Jesus Christ is a brilliant grace-filled one where it says, this is the platform where marriage, where sex thrives in a lifelong marriage between a husband and a wife. It's an act of love. It should be an expression of love. It should be governed with love. You're not hurting each other. When Paul talks about sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4, he doesn't say it as a matter of bringing shame on ourselves. The quote I love is he says, in this matter, no one should hurt their brother or sister. Hmm. So, you know, I think the purity movement said, you'll be shameful, you'll be wrecked. That's not what the Bible says, but it does say having sex with someone outside of marriage, even if they're asking for it, even if they seem to enjoy it, is harmful to them. Because right. in the world's view, it's all about consent between two adults. Now, assent, consent is essential, or you're talking about rape. But from a biblical worldview, for followers of Jesus, 
It's also, does God consent? Yeah. Not just to adults. If Jesus is my Lord, does God consent? And then here is the brilliance of the faith of Jesus Christ. A lot of us, most of us, limp into marriage. We're not that good at monitoring our sexual desire. We're figuring it out, learning how to control it. And so we mess up. I messed up. But Jesus offers forgiveness and grace. What Jesus says, and this is what I want couples to hear. You don't pay for your past sexual sins by putting up with a mediocre sex life in the present. Jesus paid for your past sexual sins on the cross. You can leave them in the past. Often some counseling will help you do that. A pastor can help you do that. But to desire to have a great sexual experience and connection now honors God. It honors your spouse. It's a life-giving force for your marriage that God designed your marriage to enjoy. And so I really see Christianity as the only worldview that gives us the, the safest, best place for sex to thrive in marriage, but that also helps us to break free from the shame and guilt when we didn't live that way, and then to give us hope for the future. Uh, the, the, this might sound bizarre to some, but the more I study sex, the more amazed I am at how Christianity is. We talk about the song of all songs. Christianity is the faith of all faiths, the belief of all beliefs, the love of all loves. We are so blessed to be the people of God. Thank you, Gary. I think that one of the the beneficial critiques that may be coming out of certain parts of, of new thought and new writing is the fact that there are some, some books that maybe popped up a generation ago that just said, hey, men are hardwired to be lustful. They can't be held responsible for their thought life. They can't be responsible for their decision. They need sex at, at this frequency in whatever way they demand. Obviously, that's been harmful and disempowering to to a lot of women in the church. I, I think you try to touch on this in the book as well. But in this conversation, what what would you say to how how the church can reframe our conversation um, about men that that really does call them to a standard of godliness, holiness, and responsibility in their own yeah. thoughts and actions? Yeah. I think one of the things that gets confusing is that we have to understand the difference between addiction and a temptation. Hmm. If a guy is addicted to porn or strip clubs or massage parlors or affairs or whatnot um that's on him and often that pattern of behavior happened long before the wife could meet him more sex won't cure him uh, he needs to reset his whole relationship with sex and in fact when a woman has been betrayed she experiences legitimate real trauma it's called betrayal trauma she needs to be cared for not to say you need to take care of your husband she needs to be cared for first. How does she get care so that she can heal? And there's likely a long period of sexual abstinence, frankly. And that's what I hear a lot of therapists say is that it's helpful for a man to get there. Having said that, Paul does say that if you're dealing with sexual temptation, marriage can be an assistance, which means for a woman who works in an office around a lot of men, if she has a fulfilling sexual relationship with her husband, Paul would say it's probably a wise thing to do. She knows that she's not as vulnerable that way for a guy living in a pornographic world. That's a very different dimension than ever blaming your spouse because they fell. It is monstrous. It's spiritual assault to blame your spouse for what they did or didn't do if your spouse becomes addicted to that. But again, in a healthy marriage, the goal should be by the words of the Apostle Paul, to enjoy each other. Now, that may mean dealing with what's making sex problematic. It doesn't mean that you quote 1 Corinthians 7. I've been saying that for 20 years. 
It never works. Putting your spouse under duty or an obligation that you have to do this, uh, it's horrendous. And the notion that if I were to tell my wife, have sex with me or I might go look at porn, well, that would creep her out legitimately so. And and that's a form of abuse in itself. We're not talking about that. We got to be careful about that. But the reality is finding out, is it what's happening in the bedroom? Is there a breakdown of the relationship outside of the bedroom? Um, there could be things where one woman said, here's the reason why it's so hard for me to be intimate with my husband. Everything I do is wrong. I don't cook right. I don't drive right. I don't clean right. I don't discipline the kids right. And she goes, and I know at the end of the day, if we're having sex, there's one more area where I'm failing and I'm so tired of being criticized. I just, just want to go to sleep. And so the issue there is not that she doesn't want to have sex. She really does. She said she did. It's that she doesn't want to be criticized. So you don't say you got to have more sex. You got to deal with the critical nature of her husband. In another regard, one woman said to me, Gary, if my husband would just pray with me, she said he wouldn't be able to handle me in bed. She said he'd be crying uncle long before the night is through. And so what she's saying is before you touch my body, touch my soul. If we're spiritually connected, I know if you're praying for me and with me, I'm just going to melt in your arms. and We're going to have a great experience. So the problem with books and sermons, and frankly, even podcasts, is that it's always an individual issue. And you've got to throw out certain things that are true, but what's true for one marriage might be bad advice for another marriage. And it's just hard for people today to hear nuance. They tend to go from one side to the other. And that's why we need counseling and understanding and dialogue. Just like you said, with the purity movement, we can go off on either end. It's either no shame at all for having sex before marriage or you're doomed forever and you're despicable and nobody will ever want you if you have sex before marriage. And it's like, well, no, there's another way to communicate this. And it's not easy to do. And you know what? We're going to have to really rethink. And I, and I certainly have over the years really trying to get this right. It's not easy walking on a fence. It is easy to fall off either way. But I hope we can show each other grace uh, and truth as we try to get this message right. Gary, in, in light in light of what you just said, how do you know when a, a book is a good way to start a conversation? And then when do you know that somebody might need to drill down another layer and talk yeah. to a licensed therapist? In your experience, what have been some of the markers that it's time for somebody to, to kind of dial in for an extra level of specified yeah. care? If you're in an abusive relationship or and in a relationship where there's a sexual addiction present, that needs to be addressed first. You can't cherish your spouse if you cherish an addiction. Quoting another book I read called Cherish, addiction soaks up all of your energy and focus. Here's the way I describe it about in my Cherish seminars. There's a difference between using sex to cherish your spouse and using your spouse to cherish sex. See, an addict uses their spouse to cherish sex. That's horrendous. It's wrong. It's abusive. And so they need to get that set free. And so I would say, if that's the issue in your marriage, treat that. You need professional counseling. You need licensed counseling. And usually, often, it's helpful for the wife to go alone rather than pursue marital counseling because addiction isn't a marital issue. It's an individual issue. And so you want to recognize that that needs to be addressed. This book is really for those where we all have our sexual temptations, but I would put it more in the, in, in the realm of a temptation where this will be helpful for us to be connecting 
sexually. It, it won't just be helpful dealing with temptation. It'll be helpful that we will be more affectionate with each other, that our kids will see that we really like each other, that we'll have that emotional connection and that spiritual connection that comes from just being intimate with each other. We know from the past, this really does change the atmosphere of a marriage. We want to get back to that. In those cases, that's really what married sex is for. And I think couples from that situation who read it will, will benefit, will be encouraged. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm writing as a pastor with the pastor's hearts for people to prosper spiritually. Deborah Faleda is writing as a licensed counselor that really wants to help couples get through this. Um, that's why we work so hard to craft a message that could be used for that. But it's not a book, I believe, for couples who are facing uh, abusive or addiction situations. Thank you. Sarah, as a therapist, for couples who might feel like they're in a rut and might even be nervous about the idea of picking this book up, what encouragement or challenge would you give to them if just broaching the conversation about talking about sex is, is a hurdle for them? Yeah. Well, Gary, what I, what I feel you do so well in this is that it's got this this overlay of invitation versus indictment. And Thank that's you. really yeah. that's really refreshing. Um, and I um, I, I find it empowers couples to just have language and to just have permission to have the discussion. Um, so it's evident that your intense intentionality was was there in, in helping couples feel empowered. Well, thank you. It's it's really our desire to do that. Deborah does have a section for couples that find it difficult to talk about these things. It's almost universal. It's kind of funny. But and, and let, let me ask if you two find this differently. Why is it easier to have sex than talk about sex? You're, you're both smiling for people. I mean, I don't want to out you, but I found with most couples that's it's just true and it's just funny. And so Deborah helps couples just like, OK, here's when to bring it up, when not to bring it up. Here's how to say it in a way it doesn't lead to a fight, but it leads to understanding. You know, it's just so often that we can get into these ruts and we don't talk about what we really like. And we would talk to couples where, and this is so sad, where wives would face frustration for years rather than bring it up. Um, it could be hygiene. It could be the husband is, is, is too quick or not taking his time. And sometimes the husbands could have some similar issues in all honesty. And so it's really saying, this is a book of questions as much as it's a book of answers. That as you go through the ch chapters, you can say, is this true of you? What, what, what did you think the Bible said about sex? Is this just, yeah, I already knew this, or does this surprise you that God celebrates sex so much? And then there's a chapter, what gets him going, what gets her going? But here's the thing. No two men and no two women are alike. We say many times, you can do great damage in your marriage if you treat your husband and wife or wife like most husbands or wives like to be treated if that's not how your husband and wife like to be treated. A book can raise the issue and say men tend to be like this, women tend to be like that, but your job is to find out your unique spouse. And they might say, no, I'm, I'm the opposite. We've talked to many couples who say, you know, we're kind of reverse of the stereotype. The reality is the way that we look at it, I'm more emotionally connecting, she's more physically connected. That's fine. What we're just trying to do is raise the issue so that you can understand each other. And you just kind of need a jumping point for that. Gary, last question. What would you say to couples who just really feel like they're in despair when it comes to intimacy in their marriage, that they feel like they've just settled for a version yeah, that's you. less than ideal and it's been two years or 20 and they yeah. think that this is only as good as it's going to get? Let me quote my, my friend, Dr. Julie Slattery. I, I love her work. I love her counsel. 
Uh, Sarah, you've probably come across some of her works in, in your counseling, but she describes married sex like a Lego set instead of a Tonka truck. Guys will get this analogy if we're traditional guys and grow up, you get a Tonka truck, you take it out of the box, it's good to go. You're rolling over dirt, you're, you know, you're moving things. Lego set, the fun is in learning to put something together. But after you put it together, you have to rip it apart. I mean, because you build a Lego boat, who wants to play with a Lego boat more than five minutes, right? They get really boring. So the whole point is that you build a certain, when sexual chemistry is high at the start of your sexual relationship, you tend to desire each other. It's tend to be easy to please. Not, not always. Sometimes there's some real physical issues that people have to master. But then it's different when you get into other years. You start having children. Or you have babies and toddlers, which can be tiring. Or you get older and you have teenagers who stay up later than you do and have a room right next to the master bedroom. <laughs> or then you get older and you're empty nesters and you have age-related issues, sometimes um, health-related issues that make sex challenging. And so it's just recognizing that you have to tear your sex life apart and rebuild it. And the book is designed to help you do that by using things like the five senses, how, how just incorporating and being more intentional about putting the five senses into play can create an entirely new experience for a married couple. How we talk about choosing your adventure. Couples rarely talk about positions, but we just explain how different sexual positions can create an entirely different dynamic, whether it's fun laughter sex, whether it's athletic sex, whether it's intense sex or just passionate uh, pleasure, sex, I, all of those things are acceptable within a marriage and how to learn to just understand that and what your spouse desires, what each position means to your spouse so that you guys can get the kind of sex that really does serve the relationship and also results in your own pleasure. So I, I would say this, it's just like infatuation. When you're infatuated, you talk. You solve conflict, you touch, you give each other presents, you use words of affirmation. If there's a, a fight, you can't sleep until you know that you're right. Because infatuation just carries that forward. The infatuation dies about 12 to 18 months, and then you have to build a relationship. You have to choose to talk. You have to say, no, it is worth it to resolve conflict, or this is gonna become a point of bitterness or frustration. The exact same principle happens sexually. Sexual chemistry is high, touch, desire each other, everything's good. It will die down to some extent. That's when you rebuild your sexual relationship. And you'll have to keep doing that throughout your marriage because every season of marriage presents unique challenges. That doesn't mean you don't desire each other. It doesn't mean you don't want each other. It just means you're in another season of marriage that takes intention, purpose, and a little bit of information, a lot of communication to rebuild it, that it could be even better. The, the best news I'd like to give to your listeners is that a lot of therapists have told us, I'm talking about sexual therapists here, that it can take about 20 years for a couple to reach its sexual prime. Genital prime is very different than sexual prime. Genital prime is when your bodies are most capable of athletic kind of sex. Sexual prime is when the relationship can have sex where it thrives and is, is most beneficial for both husband and wife. And because of the dynamic spiritually, relationally, psychologically, and some physically, it can take a couple decades for a couple to really reach its high point. And so 
I don't want work to sound like this burden and this obligation. I want it to be an invitation. Your sexual prime could very well be ahead of Gary, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for the book. Thanks for your insights. Thanks for your encouragement. Um, again, the book is called Married Sex, A Christian Couple's Guide to Reimagining Your Love Life. Uh, you can find it wherever you buy books, online, your favorite bookstore. Uh, I think it'll be an encouragement to you the same way that it's been an encouragement to both Sarah and me. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.